Welcome in. This is After Hours here on 610 Sports Radio. The Odyssey app, however you choose to listen, we thank you. Take time out of your Sunday morning to listen to us. Chris Unocero filling in for Dusty. Quentin Morris, Sunday morning guy, coming in and doing all the hard work. How you doing, Quinn? Hey, the the hard hour is over. The hard hour is <laughs> over. Yeah. Now we get to relax and <laughs> talk about whatever we want. Yeah, I don't have the music sitting there in the background. That's a lot of research. Four hours doing research for that every week. I don't know how Dustin does that. That's tough. But not a, and he just, I mean, he goes, 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 goes. You I have mean, it's, to. You have to. He, I, I didn't have time to answer any questions because uh, I literally had to go and, and get through these matchups. I don't know how he, I mean, when he gets in here uh, on Sundays, I mean, he's bouncing off the walls already. It's like, oh, dude, I woke all, up he, 20 minutes ago. Yeah, he's always bouncing off the walls. But yeah, like, yeah, it's, you got to be for that. There's a lot of, there's a lot of energy you got to have for that one. So I, I get it. It's tough. We got football going on in London right now. The NFL London series. We got Ravens taking on the Titans halftime right now across the pond. Ravens are up 18 to three over the Titans. They've kicked four field goals. They got a touchdown as well. Uh, a touchdown pass from, uh, from uh, Lamar Jackson to Zay Flowers. Justin Tucker makes it, missed the extra point, though. So that's a bit surprising. The best kicker in the league this year has been Harrison Butker for the Chiefs. So usually it's usually it's Tucker who's who's up there at the top. But, uh, yeah, right now it looks like Butker might have dethroned him, especially after a terrible season last year for Butker. So uh, that's great news if you're a Chiefs fan. Um, as always, the show is brought to you by Twin Peaks. Eats, drinks, scenic views. If you have any lineup questions in, if you have any lineup questions for your fantasy lineup, uh, feel free to hit me up. Jay Southland, Toe Service, text line 913-586-7610. Someone here texted in, sit to Diggs, Garrett Wilson, KJ Osborne, Michael Gallup, Calvin Ridley. Of those five receivers, I would sit KJ Osborne and I would sit Michael Gallup. I do not trust Michael Gallup there. Um, for the Cowboys could have a big game, but at the same time, uh, I really don't think he's that guy out there. I think they, they kind of rely on a bunch of different guys out there. Jake Ferguson's a guy that uh, Dak really likes also as well. I mean, CD lamb's obviously going to get his, we don't know if anybody else aside from him and Ferguson are really going to get there. So I kind of stay away from him. KJ Osborne as well. He's kind of been passed up on the depth chart for the Vikings by Jordan Addison. TJ Hawkinson for sure is that number two target for them after JJ with JJ being hurt with the hamstring injury. Um, Gallup is going to, I'm not Gallup, but Osborne could be in position to get those touches. But the problem is Addison has performed better than him this year, has been getting more targets, has more receptions. He's been their big play guy down the field. I would expect that they would probably look for Addison a lot more when JJ went out with that turf injury with the, when he pulled his hamstring because he slipped on the turf, who was the guy they were looking at? They were looking at Jordan Addison. So uh, that's where I would go there. I would obviously digs. I mean, the bills are playing the giants. Giants are terrible. He should eat Garrett Wilson. The, the one thing I will say is like as great as the run defense is for the Eagles, the pass defense for the for the Eagles is not that great. They're actually bottom five in passing defense. So Garrett Wilson should have an opportunity to get a lot of points for you this week. Calvin Ridley, I, I talked about it last week. Ridley has not built up that chemistry yet with Trevor Lawrence. 
but I think he's got a good opportunity to do so again. Uh, I think they really want to build that connection up. Chemistry is so important. And so I would take the bet on Ridley because I at least know that they want to use him. So those are the guys I would go, I, I would go with there. Uh, I would sit Osborne and Gallup. Anybody else with any other questions, uh, feel free to hit me up on the uh, Jay Southland Toe Service text line, 913-586-7610. Also, be wary. At 1030 is when we get the announcement on injuries for the noon window. So when we get those, when the insiders start tweeting out who's who will be sitting this week, we will let you know. But this week, we've gotten a lot of pretty early announcements on injuries with uh, Deshaun Watson already being confirmed, being out. Um, we got the confirmation with Daniel Jones already. Miles Sanders has already been confirmed out. Rashawn Johnson already confirmed to be out. So I don't think it'll be a ton of surprises there. Um, I would definitely look out for DK Metcalf because I know that DK had a, an injury that caused him to miss practice earlier this week. I'm monitoring that since he's one of my uh, flex options in my money league. So uh, definitely be wary of that. If once, once that news comes out, we'll talk about that for sure. Um, but I want to start with the, uh, with the Chiefs game. This past Thursday, Chiefs beat the Denver Broncos on Thursday Night Football 19-8 at Arrowhead. Taylor Swift was indeed in attendance, which, you know, is not surprising. She's three for four thus far since the confirmation that her and Travis Kelsey are in some sort of situationship, relationship, I don't know. Uh, and there's a lot of concern coming out about this Chiefs team because they don't look like the offensive juggernaut that they have looked like in the past. And I get it. This team right now looks very mortal in, that, in their offense. They have struggled to score points at times. And this game was very alarming for a lot of people because the Broncos are not a very good team. They have one win going into the game. They obviously had one win going out of the game. And they have really struggled on defense. They were the 32nd ranked defense in the league going into that game. Now, granted, the Chiefs did not have problems moving the ball down the field against that, uh, against that, uh, against that Broncos team. They just had problems when they got to the red zone. When they got to the red zone, they couldn't score touchdowns. They kept kicking field goals. And so it does have a lot of people concerned. I've been hearing people on this station talk about options on how to fix it. I've talked with people at work on how to fix it. Um, and I'll tell you this. I get why you would be concerned why uh, about this Kansas City Chiefs offense. I get it. I completely understand why, because it just doesn't look like anything that we have seen from this team since Alex Smith was the starting quarterback. But I'm not sharing the same concern right now. Right now. Now, that could change a month from now. That could change if they get absolutely destroyed by the Dolphins in Germany. But right now, I ain't freaking out. And here's why. Right now, the Chiefs still have a top 10 offense. They're seventh in the league in total offense. Might change today with teams playing their games. But as of right now, seventh in the league in total offense. They're top 10 in scoring offense. They're top 10 in passing touchdowns. So they're still a viable offense. Again, 
They can move the ball. They just have issues scoring touchdowns, and they have issues finishing those drives. There are times where they get into opponent's field position, and then they make a mistake, penalties, or the drive just gets stopped because they need someone to make a play, someone reliable to make a play, and they just don't get it. I'm just not that concerned because here's the reason why. To me, the biggest problem with the offense is not the wide receivers. I think it's Patrick Mahomes. I think Patrick Mahomes has been forcing things in the offense and hasn't put the team in the best position. He'll tell you that. I mean, right now, he's got 11 touchdowns on the season, but he's got seven interceptions. And these aren't like interceptions where it's like miscommunication. He throws the ball one spot, receiver wrongs, runs the wrong route or whatever. These are just like bad picks. Literally, it's just they're Madden picks that I like to call them. Where he's just heaving the ball down the field because he thinks someone's open and then he doesn't see a safety and the safety jumps the route or whatever. He heaves it into double coverage, picked off. And I, I get why he's doing it because he's trying to make something happen. And right now, I don't think he trusts his receivers. And we have talked about this a lot, about chemistry, about how important it is. It's the reason why I don't think he throws to Marquez Valdez-Scantling, because I don't think he trusts that man. Because there were times last year where he'd throw MVS the ball, and MVS would drop it, or there would be times where he'd expect him to be in one place, and he's not in that place. You remember, If you remember last week, there was a, communi- there was a, a, a chemistry issue between those two on a would-be touchdown, where he's running up the sideline on the, on the right side there, bottom of the screen, and he gets in a, in a nice, good, dead spot there in the coverage, but he stops his route in front of the end zone. Mahomes throws it over towards the back of the end zone, over everyone's head. Looks like he's just throwing it away. But if MVS had continued his route, he'd have had a touchdown in the back corner of the end zone. But because MVS is not thinking about that, he is thinking about, I have to stop here in this spot, and he's not thinking about what Mahomes likes which Mahomes is generally a keep-running type of guy, that's why it didn't work out. There have been many times where if you watch like the All-22, you'll see receivers getting open. But when they do get open, it's too late in the route, and Mahomes doesn't quite trust it. And we, there's been times where guys have gotten open, and clearly it's an unreliable player, and so Mahomes isn't going to push the ball to them. Mahomes isn't going to force the ball to someone he doesn't trust. And... There's going to have to be some chemistry that's worked on, but Mahomes is also endangering this offense with his turnovers. There have been times where he should probably throw the ball away. Instead, he's just chucking it down the field to guys. I get it. You know, it's like it's like playing on Madden when you've got all receivers whose catch rating is like 50. I mean, you're going to get some balls that get tipped up in the air and take back for six. You're going to get some plays where you, you overthrow a guy a little bit. And it gets picked off. You're going to sail throw down the field. You're going to try to force it to double coverage because you think the safety's not going to jump that route, and the safety does. I get it. But to me, the first step to fixing the offense is eliminating the turnovers because that's a lot of interceptions for the best quarterback in football. I think there's, there's two things that I want to say. One is a question. Where do you think the Chiefs stand on touchdown red zone percentage? Uh, I'd probably say 
somewhere middle of the pack. They are 17th in the NFL yeah. in red zone percentage. So I think that's a big problem, right? Yeah. You're able to move the ball down the field, like you, you said, and you're just not scoring touchdowns, right. right? I think that's a big problem. I think I know why the struggle is there, and I don't think it's necessarily Patrick Mahomes. I do think it's the wide receivers, and I think it's because these wide receivers struggle to get separation in man coverage. If you remember back to the Broncos game, when Travis Kelsey was open, it was because they were playing zone coverage, right? He was finding the soft spot in the zone. Some of the other wide receivers were able to beat some of the zone stuff, and that you know is mostly from an Andy Reid scheme perspective. The problem is, is when Patrick Mahomes is throwing those interceptions, it's those tight windows and wide receivers aren't able to get separation. And I don't know if that's something that gets fixed throughout the rest of the year. You can't just, you know, tell a guy to get better at man coverage throughout the year. So I'm with you and like, I'm not panicking because if you're telling me the worst thing about the Chiefs is Patrick Mahomes passing game, like you're in a pretty good spot. But on the other hand, Kansas City needs to figure out why they're struggling in man coverage so much. So I think there's actually some, I think the chiefs are actually like, if it, cause like, I think it's, I think man coverage is definitely a problem for them. Certainly guys like MVS struggling to go out there and, and separate in man coverage, even though he's like four, three time sky Morris struggled there, but this is where I think it's fixable. You got guys on that team that, I think have really good potential man coverage against man coverage. Rasheed Rice, prime example. Rasheed Rice is a very physical wide receiver that has uh, the ability to go up and get the ball, the ability. He's got a good catch radius, and he's very difficult to tackle. When they have gotten him the ball and he's been able to to, to you know run after the catch, he's, bra- he's breaking the first tackle almost every time. So – Scripting plays to where you can get him the ball, getting Justin Ross out there, who is basically just an unfair one-on-one matchup in man coverage in the red zone. If you throw that fade route or any other possession style route, he's going to be a problem for teams that has to get fixed. I I definitely think that that has to be something you integrate into your red zone offense because all of a sudden now, if it starts working where Justin Ross is lining up wide and you're able to throw the fade up, teams are going to try to key on that. And if they start trying to key on Justin Ross catching passes over over there on the, on the sideline on those fade routes, that's going to open things up for everyone else. So part of it, I do think, is scheme on that regard. You can scheme against those issues with man coverage. But to me, when your quarterback's turning the ball over, when your quarterback isn't isn't taking care of the ball the way that he should, it's taking away opportunities from the team. And I just think that you have to be better with taking care of the football first before we start talking about, well, let's get let's worry about the red zone stuff. Because if you're not taking care of the football, put yourself in a tough spot to score points later on. Yeah, you're absolutely right. I will say about Rice, right now he's the only one that really gives you hope for the future in right. a sense. Yeah. You know, he reminds me of a Sammy Watkins without a glass foot, um, his ability to sort of take over some of that middle stuff. But you've also seen him run some good deep routes. So he's taken off faster than I thought he would, especially in an Andy Reid offense where what do we talk about constantly throughout the offseason? It's hard for rookies to get involved in an Andy Reid offense. There are two players that have done it, Jeremy Macklin and Deshaun Jackson. That's it. So for him to be able to pick up the offense the way that he has has been great. One of the more concerning parts is the lack of production from Sky Moore and Kadarius Tony. 
Now, I know Tony has missed some games, so, you know, maybe we should pull back on criticism for there. But Sky Moore, on the other hand, I don't understand where he's been. He was supposed to step up. I think the Chiefs thought he was going to step up, and he hasn't been anywhere in, inside Arrowhead. There's there's missing posters uh, that say Sky Moore. Yeah, I'm I'm very concerned about Sky Moore right now. Like he has had, they've given him like last year. We obviously knew he wasn't going to get the the snap counts to be an impact player. This year, though, he has gotten more than enough snap counts for us to be able to see what he can do. And he's shown nothing. He struggles against zone coverage. He, I think he's a decent man coverage, man coverage receiver. But the problem is if you know that you, he can't, he can't play, he can't run routes very well against zone. You're not going to run man against him. You're just going to run zone and you know where he's going to go. So you can just sit underneath his routes and he's not going to get open because he just doesn't know how to, he doesn't know how he does. He's not nuanced enough with his route running to know where he needs to be at to give Mahomes a window to throw the ball to him. Plus, on top of that, he's just not someone that seems to really be that great of a route runner as a, as a whole. So I, I am very concerned about Sky, and I, I really do think that Sky at this point has shown you enough to where you can give someone else like Rasheed Rice more opportunities because I don't, I don't think he's doing too hot right now. Coming up next, I'm going to give you my thoughts on week seven of the college football season. Back in here on After Hours. Here on 610 Sports Radio, Chris Nocero, Quentin Morris. The uh, the uh, Ravens and Titans playing a barn burner right now, 18-3, 11 minutes in the third quarter. This, this Titans offense looks terrible. <laughs> They're not good. There's a reason they've drafted two quarterbacks in the last two drafts. <laughs> I know. You know what? They might take another quarterback next year because it's actually a really good quarterback. Class. It is a pretty good quarterback draft. And you know what? If you're a Chiefs fan, you want as many quarterbacks to go in the first round as possible. 100%. And if you want to hear more about those quarterbacks, you should be listening into the Character Concerned Podcast. That is me, Jay Binkley. The podcast episodes come out every Tuesday on the Odyssey app, on uh, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, wherever you listen. We appreciate it. Um, Shameless plug. Yeah, I mean, I got we got that's what that's what the boss tells us we gotta do. We got <laughs> to plug our show. So, also, uh, this show is brought to you by Twin Peaks Eats, Drinks, Scenic Views. If you want to text in any of your lined up questions for fantasy here, uh, you got an hour and a half until that fantasy lineup is uh, is going to be locked in for the noon slate. Make sure you text that in. The Jay Southland Toe Service text line 913-586-7610. Just had a huge run from Derrick Henry. I mean, just massive run. I didn't see how long it was. Uh, it was, uh, yeah, it was, ooh. Oh, man, that was uh, over 60 yards there. It was like 64-yard run. Uh, very, uh, this is, and this is the one thing that, that Derrick Henry does kind of still have is that ability to break one because he's so damn big. And he's got very deceptive speed for someone as large as he is. Very difficult to bring down. Um, that's that's a good move for him. That's, that's, a, that's, a, that's a good opportunity for him here. Could give you a little bit more value if you got him on your fantasy matchup. Even though I, I've been very adamant, I would not 100% buy in to anybody on this Titans offense right now. None of them look very good. Um, and I, I do think that they might end up taking a quarterback for the third straight year because, again, very, very good quarterback class. And right now, I mean, Will Levis hasn't even been able to crack their the, – get their number two quarterback spot, in, you know, ahead of Malik Willis. They've been struggling right now at quarterback. So 
you see Ryan Tannehill out there, and he's very much struggling at the uh, uh, at the starting quarterback role. And I don't think he's long for that city anymore. I don't know a Will Levis. I know a Mayo man, but I don't know a Will Levis. <laughs> yeah, he's uh, he's struggling right now. <laughs> I mean, this is a, a lot. It was funny because like, he was supposed to be that. Uh, he was supposed to be. I there were there was talk that he was going to be taken in the top ten. And then he ended up being taken in the second round. He just completely fell off. Oh, yeah. I, I kind of felt bad for him sitting there in the lobby. Yeah, he was in Kansas City. And because <laughs> uh, everybody, you know, he's going to go day one. He's going to be a top 10 pick. And then he ends up going around two. I bet the I bet the Panthers right now wish they would have taken a chance on Mayo, man. Yeah. Yeah. No, I I certainly think there were, there are teams out there that are kind of reevaluating. Bryce Young's not playing that well. Though I don't, I don't think the Panthers offense is very good and Frank Reich took a bad job he, he took a bad job when he took that job a bad job is better than no job yeah I mean he could probably he could probably get on TV he'd probably get on TV or be someone's OC on a good team you know he he didn't have to take that job uh, that's that's a job I'd have stayed away from um someone else uh, submitted a fantasy question Chubba Hubert or Zach Moss that is tough that is very tough um if you want to go upside I would go Chubba Hubert because the Dolphins, not a very good rush defense. Um, I think they're 22nd against the rush. They're not very good at stopping teams from running the football. Uh, Zach Moss, though, is probably a little bit more of a solid pick just because he's gotten the usage and they got Gardner Minshew playing there now. And uh, they're they're probably going to keep it safe for him. They're it's probably, probably the- very – they're not going to try to do anything crazy with them. It's probably the last week that I would start Moss. If if Taylor comes yeah. out looking good, yeah, I would probably this will probably which I have Moss on one of my fantasy teams, so I'm starting him. But I have I drafted Taylor, and in one of my leagues we have an IR spot, so I just put him in my IR spot after the draft was over, oh, and yeah, then picked great, up great Zach Moss. Yeah, that that I you know it's funny. I actually thought about doing the same thing with Kyler Murray because I was like, I think th- I think he's gonna play this year at some point. So if I get him and I stash him on IR, I might have myself a good starting quarterback as a backup there. But then I started, I, I started, I got antsy during the draft, and I was like, I don't know, if, I don't know if he's going to play anytime soon, and they might just tank. So yeah, I'm, I'm not, I'm not too, I'm not, I wasn't too keen. I, I ended up not doing it, but the Jonathan Taylor stash on the IR move, great move. Uh, I actually did it with Brian Robinson Jr. last year. Um, he actually he he got shot like the day before my draft. I didn't know about it until halfway through, but I was resolute on drafting him and it's the reports kind of sounded like they were optimistic, so I took him, stashed him. He ended up helping me out towards the end of the year. Actually helped me finish second in my league. So, that's a good move there. Um another person texted in, uh, how do you think Indianapolis's passing game is going to going to be today? Uh, Gardner Minshew is a good backup quarterback. Uh, I would not bet on it this week because I mean, they're going to, you know what? They're going to, they're probably, it's probably not going to be a super high score in matchup with the Jags um, because they, they're kind of been playing a lot of ugly games this year. Their offense hasn't been what people thought it would be. So I'm not, I'm not quite sold on that matchup there. Um, I, I, I do like the weapons that the Colts have. You know, I, I still like Zach Moss this week, at least for now. 
Um, I do agree with you, Quentin. I, I I think that Jonathan Taylor probably is is gonna get he's gonna get ramped up more, and then probably next week becomes that feature back. I think he, like I said, he should have a pretty good game this week. But yeah, they're they're gonna be forcing the ball a lot. I think in the pass coverage because I think they're probably gonna be fighting a, in a pretty ugly matchup here. Um, so with that coming back. I will tell you about my top thoughts from college football for week seven. Back in here on After Hours, brought to you by Twin Peaks, Eats, Drinks, Scenic Views. Christian Ocero, Quentin Morris. Ravens, Titans, 18-6 right now in the middle of the third quarter. Lamar Jackson just threw a pick. Uh, the, uh, The Titans got into the red zone on a big run. By, uh, by, um, oh, what's his name? Uh, Derrick Henry, and then proceeded to cap it off with the field goal. <laughs> I mean, this Titans team is struggling right now to to score touchdowns. Uh, we do have some uh, injury news coming out. Sam Laporte is good. That there was concern about Sam Laporte being able to play this week. He's good to go. Chase Claypool, newly acquired Dolphins wide receiver. Will not play again. It will not play this week. One thing I did see, it was very surprising. Jalen Ramsey could be back next month for the Miami Dolphins. That is very surprising, especially considering that a lot of people were saying that he was probably not going to be back until early, probably late December at the earliest. He might be back before the playoffs. So, uh, yeah, that's not good. Uh, other players just came out are inactive. Zay Jones will not play. He is out. Um, also, if you got Jermichael Hasty, which you would only have him if you were in a, a deeper league, he's not playing either. Uh, also, Tank Dell, wide receiver for the Houston Texans, he is out. So um, make sure you do not uh, you do not uh, have those guys in your lineup. As well, because uh, yeah, you're gonna you end up missing out on points there. Um, so I do want to get into my thoughts on the college football week seven that was. This is a very very interesting week because first and foremost, you saw Friday night, Colorado host Stanford, and this was a good opportunity for them to get right. The last, you know, they they had kind of struggled. When they started playing the real good teams, they played Oregon. They got absolutely destroyed. Then the very next week, they played USC. Very competitive game. A game that they were down big in, and then they came back and uh, and were able to win. Uh, I mean, they came back and almost won. They, they came back and got it to one score, but still finished just short. Playing a Stanford team that really wasn't that good. A team that I, I think they were pretty, you know, pretty heavily favored to win. And they got up 29 nothing before allowing Stanford to come back and win, as we just see that uh, the uh, Titans, it looks like Derrick Henry just scored a touchdown there. So now this is a one-score game in London between the uh, Ravens and Titans there. Derrick Henry looks like he's uh, starting to go off now for the Titans. Um, but I think that people, you know, people are going to be ridiculing Colorado, ridiculing Coach Prime for the team not – being elite and losing to the you know these these teams like that certainly the Stanford loss is that's a bad loss but let's not forget that this was a one win team 
that he had to completely gut and rebuild. It is hard to turn a team that was the worst in the FBS into a an elite football program. It's very hard to do it in one year. It's hard to turn them into just a, a respectable program, a bowl-winning program, a, you know, a, a bowl-participating program, let alone turning them into a, an actual contender for the college football playoff. I know there was a lot of hype. I know Coach Prime did a lot of that hype building himself, but it was a lot of media outlets as well who were doing it for him. It was ESPN who decided they were going to televise the Colorado spring game, which they just don't do with any other program. Usually it's SEC network, ACC network. It's not, it's on ESPN. they're not going to put it in their prime time slot on ESPN, but they did it. They chose to do that. He didn't make them do it. They chose to do that. Fox sports chose to put him in their big noon matchups. He didn't, he wouldn't push it for that. They chose to do it. There's no way that matchup with Nebraska is a prime matchup is, is played on the big noon slot. If not for Fox saying, we really want to market this guy. So I think what he's done this year is a resounding success. And I'm not going to go out here and treat him like it's like, it's like Duke losing in basketball or Kansas losing in basketball. I'm not going to do this. It's not, it's not Alabama getting upset. This is a team that was terrible last year. And in their first year, has gone from being a terrible program a la Kansas last few years to being a respectable program that is able to compete with the top schools. And I think that's a that's a good that's that's a good situation to be in for your first year. You want to hear just how bad this comeback was? Yeah. So going into Friday night, FBS teams were down twenty eight plus points at halftime, were O and two hundred and forty eight since 2019 yeah i mean there's like all of this thing where it's like the it's the fourth biggest comeback in pac-12 history it's the largest deficit to overcome a win in the pac-12 history largest blown lead like all all of these things and it's like yeah man that do you think it says more about colorado or do you think it says more about stanford i don't think stanford's that great of a program so it certainly says a lot about Colorado's inability to dominate the power five schools. Cause like they, I mean, when they played Nebraska, that wasn't a beat down. Like the score made it look, that was a game where they played it very close for much of the, for the first half. And then the second half, they were kind of able to pull away, but it was mainly like Henry Sims was not playing well and he was giving them opportunities to go out there and get points. And that's what led to them being able to pull away late. But that was not one of those games where it was, it was, you know, they were in control from start to finish. They made that, that, that was a very, very ugly game with a lot of, um, a lot of mistakes made on both sides there. Colorado right now is just, they're not a great team. They're just a team that's competitive and they got talent. And I kind of feel like Shadur Sanders is going to stay, even though he could be a first round pick. And I think if you're going to be a first round pick, you should probably just go get drafted and go play professionally. But I could see him staying and then seeing if he can help turn around this team. Cause like they're going to gut their offensive line and defensive line this off season. 
They're going to go heavy transfer portal again, and they're going to try to get as many guys on Power 5 schools as they can to go play on the line for them. They tried to, and it didn't quite work this past offseason. They're going to really try heavy this time because right now their biggest weakness is on the line on either side of the ball, and that's a, a big problem for them. I, I, I expect that they'll make that a major priority this offseason. Absolutely, and if you're the backup on a team like Georgia, right, why would you not – go and transfer to Colorado right. where you can be a starter. So yeah. I think I think they're going to go through and just pick off not only, you know, new guys looking to get into college, but also you're right with the transfer portal. Well, they'll go to powerhouses and some of their backups and maybe even some of their starters will go and want to play right, for, yeah. for Dion. I think that's a big thing. Yeah, I think so too, especially if there's an issue with the coach, like the coach might get fired or, or, or whatnot, or coach might leave for a different job. Uh, usually those schools get rated for talent. So he, he's got options as far as improving his roster. Uh, another thought I have, Alabama looks like they kind of lost their luster a little bit. They don't look like that same team. They don't look like a squad that is dominating at the level that they are used to. And you're hearing things now that, like, there's people predicting that Nick Saban could be on college game day next year. And so he could be on his way out. He's kind of gotten a little curmudgeon here the last few years. Uh, Kirby Smart has wrestled control of the SEC away from him, and now he's got control of it, and things are kind of looking a little tough there for uh, for um, Alabama and the, and the SEC because uh, LSU's got tons of talent. Texas A&M's got a ton of talent there. Um, you're adding Texas and Oklahoma next year. So now you've got two other high-profile programs there. And if you're Nick Saban, I think he's like in his 70s. He's been there, done that. Like, how much longer do you really want to do this? I could. I, I think this might be the sunset of Alabama as the premier program in that in that conference. Uh, you know, I mean, obviously, like Georgia's kind of taking control there, but Alabama still had a shot there, and I, I think their 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 chances might be coming to a close. Well. It's- you know, kind of crazy about, especially this this last game they they played. Even though they didn't lose, they just made a lot of mistakes. Like especially late in the game, right? You allow you allow a team that's well, at the time two and four to you know to come back and get within three points against a team you're supposed to dominate. You're Alabama, right? Nobody these lower level teams aren't supposed to be able to compete with you. And bad penalties, uh, just not an Alabama team we're used to seeing. You know, Alabama not only is supposed to have better talent, but they're just supposed to play clean football. They're not supposed to have bad penalties and turnovers and such. So to see that, I think you're right, sort of that sliding off the mountain. And with Georgia playing as well as it has over the last two years, you know, making and winning the college football playoffs, uh, Georgia has sort of taken over the realm as the dominant team. Another observation I have is that uh, Washington's for real. They played a great game against Oregon yesterday. Um, they're full of NFL talent on their offense. Michael Penix Jr., I think, is the second-best quarterback in the nation behind Caleb Williams. Um, we'll see what happens as far as draft scouts go because there's still a lot of people who are our team Drake May. And I, I think he's a good prospect. There's some things that he does that a lot of guys can't do, but... I look at Penix and I see a guy who can make the big time throw from the pocket, who can do it on the run, but he's got a great arm. 
He's got great accuracy. He knows how to get the ball to his playmakers. And he's got a lot of them. He's got Romo Dunsey. He's got Jalen McMillan. He's got uh he's got Polk. He's got a ton, a ton of talent, and he knows how to get the ball to those to those receivers. And he showcased that against a very, very good Oregon team with whose defense has been playing very well this year. I mean, we saw them go out there and just absolutely embarrass the the Colorado offense when they played a few weeks ago. And this was a big-time heavyweight matchup. Two teams don't like each other. I mean, if you watch quarterback, you saw a former Oregon quarterback, Marcus Mariota, talk about how he hates the Huskies and he hates he hated practicing at, at their facility. That's how much he hates that team. And, you know, they... That was a, a very heated rivalry, and they played an excellent matchup there. Oregon definitely put on a show, but Washington just slightly better. I think Washington's got a, a legit chance to to win the college football playoff this year, especially because Georgia lost Brock Bowers yesterday due to an injury. Looks like it might be an ankle. Don't know. I haven't heard anything as far as like long-term prognostication, but um, that's a team that's very reliant on Brock Bowers for their offensive production. You lose him for any extended period of time, especially if it's the rest of the year. Hopefully that's not the case, but if it does happen, that's very problematic for for them, especially when they get to the playoff because a team like Washington that's loaded full of talent is going to cause a lot of problems for uh, anyone else that they play in the college football playoff. Coming up next, I said something on Tuesday on After Hours in regards to Sean Payton. And I was 100% confident in it, and he proved me wrong this past Thursday. I'll tell you what it is next. Back in here on After Hours here on 610 Sports Radio and the Odyssey app, brought to you by Twin Peaks Eats, Drinks, Scenic Views. If you still got any uh, fantasy football lineup questions, uh, feel free to hit me up. Jay Southland Toe Service text line, which is 913-586-7610. The uh, Ravens are currently driving here in uh, Titans territory. They are just past the 40-yard line. Terrible pick by Ryan Tannehill. Uh, Just heaved it down the field. Safety jumped it. Was able to pick it off here. Uh, Man, this is uh, is not the prettiest game here. This is... Of all the games we could put out there, we could send over to, to Europe for them to consume... And try to you know try to get into our sport. Maybe don't put the matchup with the Tennessee Titans in it. Tennessee Titans not an explosive team, not an exciting team. Um, they very much are kind of like the boxer that isn't really trying to knock anybody out. They're just trying to win by majority decision. That's kind of what the Titans are. Titans not going to beat you. They're not going to knock you out. They're not going to knock you out. They're going to they're going to outlast you. Not a pretty team to watch. Ravens kind of like that too. Uh, they do have some explosiveness with Lamar Jackson as a as a uh, quarterback, but yeah, this is uh, th- this is not the most exciting game to watch. There has been a lot of back and forth, a lot of mistakes here. Ravens are almost in the red zone now. Uh, we'll keep you posted on that. That does have some implications as far as the uh, AFC West. I mean, the AFC race is concerned because the uh, Ravens are very much a contender. In the AFC, very much a team the Chiefs could see down the road in the playoffs. Uh, Titans could be as well, though. The Titans, to me, a little bit too imperfect for my taste to believe in them. But 
Yeah, this Ravens team, though, you hear you hear it all that hype about how they were gonna change everything and and they were gonna be a better team and because they got the new offensive coordinator, they got rid of Greg Roman, they're gonna pass the ball more. Doesn't look like it. So on Tuesday, I was on here with Dusty, me and him chopping it up for three hours. One of the things we talked about was Sean Payton and. He said that Sean, the game is passed by Sean Payton. And I kind of pushed back on that a little bit. I was like, you know, I think the issue with Sean Payton was that he was overconfident when he took the job. Obviously, we know that because he was talking trash about his predecessor, Nathaniel Hackett, which is uh, taboo in the the world of professional sports coaching. And uh, it, it was a bad look for him. Got even worse when they played the Jets. And they lost. They, they, I mean, really, that was, that was like, it was funny. They really kind of, they really celebrated that with Hackett there after the game. And the Jets, even the Jets' Twitter account took shots at the Broncos there. That's how you know how personal that was. And uh, as a very electric run here by, by uh, Lamar Jackson gets the Ravens inside the 10 here with the chance to put it away if they score a touchdown here. Cause I don't think the Titans are going to be able to out get up to that 25 point rank if they, if they uh, score a touchdown here. So, um, but I said, I did not believe that the game had passed by Peyton. He was just overconfident. I was wrong. Peyton did not look like he was anywhere near a competent coach. The way that he was calling that game as a play caller, where he was calling it like he had, he was running this 1995 ass defense against the, uh, against the chiefs on Thursday. We're going to run the football and we're not going to throw it that much. And what we do is going to be all short passes, all based off of play action. We're not going to test the team down the field. We're not going to force the pass rush to get home. We're just going to run the football. And uh, we're going to hope that that allows us to control the clock and keep Pat- Patrick Mahomes off the field. It was a terrible game plan design, especially because the Chiefs offense was not playing very well. They had an opportunity to take advantage of the fact that the Chiefs offense didn't play well, which you're not going to get very many of those opportunities in a season. And they did not take advantage of it. And you watch some of those coaching mistakes that were made with uh, him. Like the fourth down was it fourth and three on their first drive. He calls a timeout. They were going to go for it. He calls a timeout a few seconds left. And then they go back out there and go for it. And the play was terrible. Um, nothing about that Broncos team looks like it's well coached. And, I wanted to give Sean the benefit of the doubt early on because of how terribly constructed this roster is by George Patton. But boy, this is a terribly coached team. And you could just see it with the way they played on Thursday. Couldn't happen to a better franchise. Yeah, I enjoyed it. I enjoy watching this team. The the drama around this team being so dysfunctional is hilarious because when I was growing up in the 90s, I watched a Broncos team that was a well-oiled machine, had a lot of talent. You had John Elway. You had Shannon Sharp. You had Terrell Davis. They got Neil Smith. I mean, they had talent. They had Atwater. Um, I remember their receivers, Rod Smith and, and Ed McCaffrey, hated them because they just always seemed to make that big play that they needed. I mean, they were loaded in the 90s, won two Super Bowls in a row in the in the mid to late part of the 90s. And you look at them now, 
And ever since Elway's left, which they were kind of trending that way anyways with Elway, but ever since he's left and Patton took over as the GM, that team has not been the same. And this is going to be now the second coaching failure for George Patton as general manager. And that Russell Wilson trade is looking worse and worse every day. I mean, Russell Wilson didn't even have 100 rushing, I mean, 100 passing yards in that game. He was more effective as a rusher than he was as a passer in that game. That's how terrible it was for the for the Broncos. It was embarrassing. It was embarrassing if you were a Broncos fan. I mean, they haven't played a competitive football game. I guess if you count the Raiders football game. But yeah, it was competitive. Even the Raiders have beat them like seven times in a row. Yes. Yeah. The Raiders have a dominant streak against them. I mean, this is... This is a stretch of bad football I did not think I would ever see from the Broncos. And it's hilariously entertaining. And I was just way wrong about Sean Payton. The team is not well coached. And uh, I think at this point now, you just have to gut that franchise. And, and they look like they're kind of leaning that way anyways. You got to gut them. You got to clean the house. And you got to start fresh. Coming up next. While the offense is not off to the greatest start, there is one huge positive for the Chiefs this year in 2023. I'll tell you what that is next. You're listening to After Hours with Dusty Likens on 610 Sports Radio and the Odyssey app. Brought to you by Twin Peaks. Eats, drinks, scenic views.